Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Come on, man. Hey, You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. All right, we're live. A good time to do one because the 49ers and the entire league just found out who's going to the Pro Bowl. The 49ers found out that they have six players going to the Pro Bowl, but uh, there, I think, is a surprising inclusion. And I'm not saying that he's not deserving. That's Talano Hufanga. I just didn't expect it because I didn't think he was on top of the fan votes after that those were counted a couple days ago and there is a shocking exclusion to me and that's christian mccaffrey again christian mccaffrey did not make the pro bowl and we're going to get into it i think it's a blatant snub just based on his impact on this 49ers team this year which has been sensational plus he's leading all running backs and those receiving metrics which is probably the the more important part of the game these days but the six selections matt nick bosa Hufanga, as I mentioned, Kyle Juszczyk, George Kittle, Fred Warner, and Trent Williams. The 49ers also have seven alternates, so McCaffrey is one of those alternates. Center Jake Brendel, kicker Robbie Gold, Ray Ray McLeod as a return specialist, Debo Samuel, Charvarius Ward, and Mitch Wisnowski. Now there's an even worse snub overall, right, not, not making the alternate list on top of not making the actual Pro Bowl list, and that's, and that's Dre Greenlaw. So McCaffrey is at least an alternate, but Dre Greenlaw, who the 49ers had stumped for in previous days, especially Fred Warner, uh, wasn't even one of the 13 49ers selected as even a uh, – not even selected as an alternate. So uh, that, that to me is wild. The McCaffrey one was a, a jaw dropper for me just because we, we've been sitting here watching – a superstar in McCaffrey show up and transform a football team. And the 49ers have been number one across the board in efficiency ever since he showed up and took a full-time role. But obviously the rest of the league, the coaches, players, whatever, did not see it the same way. Well, yeah, I mean, um, Debo Samuel is a, uh, I'm sorry. Hey, I, I said Debo Samuel, I meant Christian McCaffrey, but that, that is it easy to confuse them because Debo Samuel was a, a pro bowler last year by far and away their their MVP, a guy that they leaned on heavily on offense. But this year it's been McCaffrey who's sort of uh, replaced him in that regard. And I can only imagine uh, the reason he doesn't make the Pro Bowl is because obviously he came in midstream. I actually thought that that was going to help him, that he was going to get sort of uh, Panthers votes and 49ers votes. Uh, but uh, I, I think it's three straight weeks that uh, Christian McCaffrey has – been the um, uh, total yards leader for this team. And that's a very Debo Samuel thing to be, uh, running the ball, catching the ball. And as you noted, we've talked about his his sheer gravity. He's the black hole of the offense, the guy that's uh, sort of um, all the defensive players gravitate toward, and that creates lots of room for other guys. It creates time uh, and an outlet for Brock Purdy and the, and the QBs, but – 
Uh, I mean, George Kittle's first TD in Seattle was a, uh, a perfect example. I mean, half the, half the Seahawks defense was going towards Chris McCaffrey. Nobody was covering Kittle, and he had uh, one of the easiest touchdowns of his career. Uh, for the Greenlaw one, I mean, I, I guess you could say only two inside linebackers make it. Those guys were Fred Warner and Demario Davis, um, both uh, absolutely deserving. Demario Davis leads a very good uh, Saints defense. So uh, maybe we need to sort of uh, uh, ratchet that number up. Two seems too few for the first team, uh, especially when a lot of teams play uh, essentially three inside linebackers. Yeah, and, you know, with Dre Greenlaw, a lot of a lot of his impact, too, you have to be there to, to feel it, right? I mean, the guy, he's a throwback. He delivers some vicious hits. One of those really, I think, snuffed out all of Seattle's chances in the Thursday night game when he took out Travis Homer and that created the fumble that Charvarius Ward uh, returned that set up an offensive touchdown for the 49ers. So Greenlaw is an enforcer. Kyle Shanahan has called him Mike Tyson before. He even says that he looks a little bit like Mike Tyson. So I think it's, I think it's, you know, those types of players they uh, Greenlaw don't get me wrong he stands out on the stat sheet he has a 100 tackle season in his name first time that he's eclipsed uh, the century mark but the true impact I think is felt when when you're there and uh, you know Fred Warner has more name recognition than Dre Greenlaw but Fred Warner has been the first to say this year that Dre Greenlaw is having just as good of a year as me there are two different types of players though right Fred Warner is the you know, he patrols the middle of the field. The coverage in between the hash marks has been superb. Nobody likes to go to that spot of the field against the 49ers because Warner is so good at defending it. The best example was the Dolphins and Tua Tagovailoa, who completely shied away from throwing where he usually does. But um, it, it's, you know, it's it's an inexact science. Nobody ever goes out and is complimentary of the pro bowl selection process. I've never heard anybody say, Oh, wow. What, what a great system they have to get these players in. People are always critical, sometimes maybe a little too critical, but uh, you know, with green law, I could see the gray area and the fact that there's only two of those linebackers selected per conference, but with McCaffrey, Matt, I just don't get it. Uh, You know, you had Saquon Barkley. Okay. Yeah. He's a superstar, but then Tony Pollard and Miles Sanders over I mean, yeah, good players, but man, what, what I, you know, you just said it, the gravitational pull from Christian McCaffrey. I think what we're seeing from him is, is historic and, and maybe the Pro Bowl selection process and the way the positions are viewed is just not up to par yet with how football has evolved because football has evolved into this passing game, right? Where, where players have to be positionless, skill position weapons to, to truly have an outsized impact. 49ers have been a bit ahead of that curve in Shanahan's offense, and they have a ton of those guys. As you mentioned, Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey is the latest one, but uh, we'll probably see him honored in all pro fashion while not getting the Pro Bowl nod, which is one of the uh, ironic dualities that we've seen over the years. But I think Christian McCaffrey is lined up for just that. Well, I mean, uh, Barkley, Sanders, and Pollard all have more rushing yards than Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I, I don't have uh, the wherewithal very quickly to kind of add up the all-purpose yards. I'll just talk about uh, Talano Hufanga, who uh, that was a surprise to me because 
the last count, the last time we uh, got a look at the uh, the fan count, the final fan count, he was number two, but he was behind Harrison Smith uh, of the Vikings, who's very popular. He's been to six Pro Bowls, and um, he was ahead. Hufanga was ahead of Buda Baker. Um, in in the end, though, it was Baker and Hufanga who were selected, and uh, Harrison Smith, who was not selected to the first team. So obviously the uh, the the coaches and the players um, kind of changed that dynamic a, a lot. And and uh, I think Buda Baker has a lot of respect around the league. You you hear that from Kyle Shanahan. You hear that from the 49ers offensive players whenever they play the uh, the Cardinals. Uh, uh, George Kittle is a uh, a big admirer of, of Buda Baker's. But uh, it, it kind of shows you that Hufanga is getting sort of similar respect, uh, which is incredible for essentially a, a first-year player. He's not a rookie, but uh, this is his first uh, uh, long stint of starts. And um, I didn't think he was going to get it because of lack of re- name recognition and because, frankly, um, every now and then he still makes some mistakes. But I think uh, what, what people are seeing is that there's an energy – and a playmaking ability that um, more than compensates for sort of the young player issues that he's still working through, and which, by the way, are, are probably going to be few and far between uh, moving forward because he's so sharp. But just a, uh, a tremendous first year for him. I'm so glad he got this. What a great honor. <laughs> uh, we have to go back, David, to when he was talking to us after he was drafted. Fifth-round guy out of USC. And he said that his goal uh, was to become a pro bowler, but he said his goal was to become a, a pro bowler on special teams. And so uh, his dream comes true probably earlier than he thought and uh, probably not quite in the uh, fashion that he thought. He's a pro bowler on defense, which, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to uh, demean special teams, but that's a, that's a bigger deal. And so uh, congrats to him. Um, I wonder whether the uh, the All Pro list will be uh, reflective like the uh, like the Pro Bowl list was. Well, Hufanga might not have earned special teams Pro Bowler his rookie season, but he delivered one of the biggest special teams plays of the right. year for the Forty ers recovering a fumble off the block punt, or I guess it wasn't a fumble; it was a block punt, but it was a loose football in an ice storm at green Bay with all the pressure on him. And he made it look really, really smooth. So that was huge. And now Tano Funga is a pro bowler. Thanks to his instincts, you know, thanks to that hard work, right? He, he put in the time with Troy Polamalu. I think that might've helped him get some name recognition too. the fact that he has worked with Polamalu, his style of play, you know, a lot of hair and that hair is on fire, right? The way that he plays that, that style of play, um, it does pop off the screen, I think, especially early in the season before teams were really accounting for Talano Hufanga when he was still surprising people. I mean, boy, he would just light people up because he'd be crashing through that line of scrimmage. It was really impressive. And, you know, he does have to clean up some of the stuff in coverage. He has to make sure he's not biting as much on some of these play fakes and some of the shorter pass actions so he doesn't get beaten over the top. But, I mean, th- there's not a single safety in the league that – has been immune to, to being beaten over the top or biting on a fake. It's a matter of minimizing that as your career progresses. So congratulations to Tana Hufunga. He is a pro bowler for the first time. And I have looked up the all-purpose yardage, Matt. Yeah. And out of running backs, Christian McCaffrey's third in the NFL. But he's first 
in the NFC. So Josh Jacobs and Derrick Henry are on top of the all-purpose yardage list. They both made the Pro Bowl for the AFC, Vegas and Tennessee. Uh, McCaffrey, though, so we're looking at the, the backs who made it for the NFC in comparison to McCaffrey. Saquon Barkley, Tony Pollard, and Miles Sanders, right? McCaffrey has 1,578 all-purpose yards. Saquon Barkley is right behind at 1,464, but still still a full 100-plus yards behind McCaffrey. Pollard is way down, about 300 yards shy of Christian McCaffrey at 1,279. And Sanders is about 400 yards shy of Christian McCaffrey at 1,182. So, I mean, I know it's a rudimentary measure, but the advanced statistics love Christian McCaffrey as a receiver as well. And, um, you know, I think you could just start by looking at all-purpose yardage and you see how many McCaffrey has. And you're like, oh, okay, this guy's an outsized impact. But then it's like just the just the performance of the offense with McCaffrey in it versus him without it. That To me, you know, I can make the argument, I think, a really credible one, Matt, that McCaffrey – is the 49ers MVP. And the 49ers are obviously playing excellent football. This could be a Super Bowl team. So just from that lens, right, the MVP of a potential Super Bowl team doesn't even make the cut for the Pro Bowl, even though his all-purpose yard stats indicate that, that he fits right in there. That, that, that to me, makes this a very, very notable omission. Yeah, I was thinking about MVP t- today as well. Debo Samuel was such an obvious pick last year. This year, it's not as obvious, and I think, as I said uh, to begin with, uh, McCaffrey's having the most Debo-like season of ever, anybody on offense. I think MVP will probably go to defense because that's been so uh, consistently good throughout, and I think uh, the guy that will get it is uh, is Nick Bosa. But um, like I said, it's not uh, it's not a, a, a snap uh, uh, decision like it was last year. Um, so, uh, that'll be interesting. I mean, that, uh, that the fact that, uh, McCaffrey, a guy who came in at mid season could even be considered to be the, uh, the team's MVP, I think, uh, speaks to just the impact, uh, the very fast impact that he's had. And it, it's, uh, Pollard to me kind of jumps out. He's having a great season. <laughs> even maybe the Cowboys starter, how does a, a non-starter make the Pro Bowl? Uh, so, uh, that, uh, that'll, that'll be, uh, I'm sure, um, uh, sliced and diced on 49ers message boards all week. Um, and, uh, uh, a couple of comments we have here. Do we, do we notice an, an East coast bias to any of these? Um, it is notable that the three running backs who make it are all in the, uh, the NFC East. Um, that's probably got the most, uh, eyeballs on it given that uh it's it's there on the uh, eastern seaboard plus dallas which is uh the cowboys are one of the most popular teams in the league um and then malik who often uh, takes part thank you for for being on this malik uh, says that um pro bowls are nice but all pro is the creme de la creme and he's absolutely right uh the uh, all pro list is much more discerning list uh, it's a uh, it's a group of select voters who uh, really know what they're talking about. So that will be the real kind of litmus test uh, of who makes it. Um, I think we can count on Bosa and Youthcheck and Trent Williams um, and uh, the other guys. Uh, anyone else will will be really interesting to dissect when that comes out. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. But I, I think, you know, when we zoom out, this 49ers team, this is what's this is what's so intriguing. We're moving forward into the final three games of the regular season. 49ers obviously still jockeying for better seating because they want to stay at home for a, as long as possible in the playoffs. And then obviously they have clinched a postseason spot. So we'll, we will be seeing some very meaningful January football at Levi Stadium. But you look at the journey ahead for the 49ers. They're the hottest team in the NFL. They obviously have Super Bowl aspirations, and they will be trying to carry this heat wave and approach these Super Bowl aspirations with possibly the most star-stocked lineup in football. You talk about six pro bowlers, seven alternates, and that number of six doesn't even include somebody like Christian McCaffrey, who is only an alternate. Well, uh, that's, that's saying something, right? That is a lot of talent that we're going to be able to watch here over the next several weeks as the games will just continue to grow in importance. And it starts with Washington on Saturday. And Matt, Washington, it, I mean, these guys can play. Washington is a team that plays defense. I don't think that the offense is all that impressive, but the 49ers have noted that they run the ball and they're committed to running the ball in a similar way to Atlanta earlier this year. Earlier this year. And the 49ers lost that game to the Falcons now. They were decimated by injury during that game. This this one is a little bit different. The 49ers are pretty darn near full strength for this game against Washington, plus they have it at home. But uh, it will be interesting to see, you know, these players who either made the Pro Bowl or were snubbed from it take the field on Saturday in uh, another really important game as the 49ers position themselves for a potential run of the Super Bowl. Yeah, um, uh, several 49ers have noted this week that uh, Washington leads the league in time of possession. So it's a very old school type of team built on uh, um, they they built their defense a lot like the 49ers. They really concentrated on the defensive line. I know that uh, when Scott McLuhan was there, he concentrated on building the offensive line. So it's been built in a traditional way, which means that uh, not a lot of bells and whistles at this point. Um, I don't, I don't think that their quarterback is, uh, you know, top of the league in any sense, but, uh, he's, he's got guts and he manages the game. And I'm really impressed when I watched them by the running back, Brian Robinson. And, uh, he was out, uh, early in the season because, uh, he was, uh, involved in a, in a shooting in DC and he came back and it was a big story there. And, um, he runs hard and he, uh, he's reminiscent of, Derrick Henry. Uh, he's not as big as Henry, but he's got uh, long legs and sort of ha- has that same style. And uh, late in the season, that that takes a toll. And uh, if the 49ers do have a weakness right now defensively, it's that they've lost a lot of uh, their bulk from the uh, the inside of that defensive line. No Hassan Ridgeway, uh, Javon Kinlaw. I, I uh, seriously doubt if he'll be back for. For this game, no uh, Kevin Givens. I think Eric Armstead has really given this team a big boost on the inside uh, in the short amount of time that he's been back. But they're still thin there. So, I mean, if you're looking for uh, the ways that the commanders are going to attack this team, I don't think there's any any real question. They're going to try to run the ball and do gap blocking old school and send their uh, their two big backs up the middle. So I think the 49ers know that's that's coming. I think that they don't like the way that they played uh, against the Falcons earlier this year. One of those uh, those losses, uh, they were they were nicked up for that game for sure. But uh, that's one where the Falcons really took it to them. And, and one of the few games 
that the 49ers lost the time of possession battle. So I'm sure that's a theme this week. Don't let what happened to us in Atlanta happen uh, this week. And uh, momentum has been a big theme as well. They want to keep this going right through week 18. Yeah, Atlanta basically took what had been the 49ers formula in years prior and used it against them. The 49ers have since become more dynamic offensively. Again, thanks to Christian McCaffrey, but uh, they still do try to control possession. And I think Washington actually leads the league in average time of possession this year. It's, it's just all about complementary football. And Washington has had to play complementary football to make up for the fact that, that their offensive weapons, especially the quarterback, is unremarkable. Carson Wentz was the starter to begin the year. He wasn't any good. Taylor Heineke is the QB now. I mean, he, he, you know, he's an underdog. He's one of the, he went to Old Dominion, has been around the league for a few years. I think he's 29 years old now. Uh, got a shot right a couple of years ago. I still remember him going up against Brady and the Buccaneers when Tampa Bay was on its way to the Super Bowl back in 2020. But you look at all the metrics for Washington pass-wise, they're like number 25, number 26 in the league. So you just look at this. I mean, they do have some, some talented wideouts, though, right? You got Terry McLaurin over there. Dotson's a good, good, good receiver as well. So you can't take them uh, lightly because there is potential explosiveness there. But I just think that the 49ers, obviously, we talk about how loaded this team is with talent. They show up and they play their game defensively, which they've done now for seven straight weeks. Uh, There's every indication that this Washington team is really, really going to struggle to move the ball against them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, uh, you know, they, they do have uh, a good uh, wide receiver in, in Terry McLaurin. Um, I remember him in the uh, the Senior Bowl back uh, in, in 2019 when the 49ers were, I think they were, 49ers were coaching the other side, but McLaurin was one of the standouts. The other, the other standout that that, uh, that week was a guy named Debo Samuel, um, and uh, he's probably not back. Yeah, he's pretty good, too. He, he's not going to be back for this game. Um, but um, he is getting close, and uh, it's a real stark contrast. I saw him in the, in the locker room uh, last week. Was that that one Tuesday practice, and he was he was limping around pretty good. Uh, and I thought, oh boy, it's going to be a while before Debo Samuel comes back. But I saw him yesterday, zero limp, uh, doing some uh, some stuff on the side during practice. So uh, it's looking as if, uh, and Kyle Shanahan even said, if if this were Last year, and the 49ers were, you know, needing uh, every victory to, to even make the playoffs. Um, there was a, a really good chance that Debo Samuel could play in that in this upcoming game. Uh, they're not quite in that mode. They can let these, these guys uh, heal up. But uh, I think uh, Debo Samuel being back for the Raiders game and certainly the Cardinals game to finish out the season um, is a is a high pro- possibility. So. Um, you know, that would mean that the, the 49ers have their full contingent of weaponry going into whatever that first uh, uh, opponent is in the playoffs. And that's going to be really, really uh, interesting to watch. Yeah, let's talk about that. Maybe answer a question about that. Danny Y asks if the 49ers in Minnesota tie at season's end, what is the tiebreaker? Is it division record or conference record? Danny says that he's read both. Well, the answer to his question is conference record, and the 49ers currently have a better NFC record than Minnesota. So assuming the 49ers win out and Minnesota loses once more so that they have even overall records, the 49ers would hold the tiebreaker over the Vikings and grab the number two seed. As things stand right now, the 49ers 
as a division winner are guaranteed nothing lower than their current seed, which is the three seed. That would mean a home wild card game against the six seed. If uh, the game were today, if the playoffs started right now, the 49ers would host the New York Giants who are the six seed. Washington is the seventh. So that's also a potential first round matchup that we get to maybe have previewed this weekend, right? 49ers in Washington, who's seven. But there's other teams that are knocking on the door, Matt, of this playoff picture. You look at the Detroit Lions, who are surging, playing really well. I think they're a better team than Washington or the New York Giants. They're, I think they're the nine seed right now. The top seven get in. The Seahawks are technically the eight. We just saw the Seahawks in Seattle on Thursday. And then the Green Bay Packers, don't count them out just yet, because especially – if the 49ers beat Washington on Saturday, as we expect, Matt, that will knock Washington out of the current playoff picture, right? And that means that another team will slot into number seven, and it will open up hope for a whole bunch of teams, including the Packers, including the Lions, uh, including the Seahawks, who, who are all you know chomping at the bit to get that final playoff spot. And if the 49ers do catch the Vikings – then they'll end up playing the team that gets the final playoff spot because the two is going to play the seven. So it's this funny situation here where the Washington commanders are going to be trying to play the 49ers for maybe a chance to play the 49ers, if that makes sense in the playoffs. But the first round is coming on Saturday at Levi Stadium. Yeah, it would be a a chance to to return to Levi Stadium, <laughs> um, and and maybe if if they uh, eked out a win to 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 do it again. But uh, yeah, the, the team that you you noted uh, there that I would want to avoid if I'm the 49ers, and, and the 49ers will will never admit to wanting to play one team over another. But um, is is the Lions just because? Uh, the, the Dan Campbell is definitely building a culture there. It's a tough-minded culture, um, and uh, they're hot. And that's uh, that's something that the 49ers learned last year, that uh, going in w- with momentum is a big deal. And, and I think that's very much why Kyle Shanahan is, uh, is gunning for this uh, number two seed. Um, maybe the difference between the number two and number three seed isn't all that vast, but I think the the more important aspect is that you're still rolling at the end of the season, and um, uh, teams that kind of take their foot off the accelerator. Uh, remember last year, the the Packers had the best record in football. Um, what did they do going into uh, the final week? Well, they rested uh, Aaron Rodgers and lots of other starters, and they lost uh, the finale uh, to the Lions. Um, and, you know, no big deal. They still had the number one seed. They still had to buy. But it meant that uh, when when the, the season restarted two weeks later, they might not have been as sharp as they were. And, uh, you know, you know, we, we both know the team that rolled in there and uh, kicked them out of the playoffs. It was the 49ers. Um, so um, the, that, that's uh, that's something that Kyle Shanahan is going to be very, very cognizant of and trying to guard against. And uh, I know that going into that, that finale against the Cardinals, there's going to be lots of questions about, oh, this is this is a great time to, to rest uh, Christian McCaffrey. Hey, maybe give Nick Bosa the game off. Give Eric Armstead the game off. Um, I doubt that Shanahan will entertain that, at, at least not until kind of deep into the game. We're talking late third quarter, maybe fourth quarter. That That's my instinct on it. W- what are your thoughts about that? 
Uh, absolutely. I think the number two seed is extremely important because number two doesn't get you the buy anymore, but it gets you a second home game in the playoffs. So, I mean, if everything plays according to seeding and the Vikings and the, the 49ers, right, they're, they're, they're two, three, uh, that whoever is two and whoever is three gets the home game in the divisional round. Either it's a matter of having the Vikings come to Levi's or going to uh, Minnesota. And that's assuming that there are no, no upsets and there could be, because I don't think the Vikings are uh, that great of a team, even though they've obviously won a lot of games, but I think that holding on to those home games is extremely important. I asked George Kittle about it today in the locker room. And he said, yeah, the last time we had two playoff home games, things ended up pretty good. The 49ers were in the Super Bowl because they just waltzed through the Vikings and then the Packers in the 2019 playoffs, January 2020, uh, to make it to Miami. So uh, for, especially for a team that last year had to play 12 road games, that was an NFL record, including four straight elimination games on the road at the end of the regular season and into the playoffs. That was the Rams in week 18, then to Dallas, then to Green Bay in the ice storm, then back to L.A., for a team that was just so beaten up by that tough road last year, I mean, I've heard stories. Uh, the 49ers injury situation in those games goes way, way beyond, um, you know, I think what's what's publicly known. Those guys were just hurting by the end of that run. And, you know, playing on the road three times in L.A. and then in Dallas and then in Green Bay and finishing that up with an ice storm game and then turning around and having to play in L.A., another road game, for the NFC championship. I mean, I think that caught up to the 49ers. So right now the goal for this team should be to clear the path for a Super Bowl run, because if you don't clear the path, then a lot more wrenches can get in your way. And even if you feel that you have the best roster and you're really well set up with your football team to, to take on whatever challenges might come, you're still lowering your probability. So in my opinion, 49ers should be raising their probability. And we should be pivoting to the question because, Matt, we have our first audio question in a while. This is good. Colin, Colin, what's going on? How are you guys? Hey, Colin. Good. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, my question was on, you know, kind of more of Shanahan and coach of the year. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of ourselves here, but there's still games games to be played. But I just feel like everyone's talking about Sirianni and, and rightfully so. And I'm trying to remember a coach of the year who didn't just have the best record, but one coach of the year. And I think maybe it was like Bruce Arians when he kind of stepped in for Chuck Pagano um, all of those years back ago for the Colts. But I just feel like with Shanahan, you know, building an offense for Lance all offseason, Lance goes down week two, right? Jimmy G says goodbye to you guys in February, right? And goodbye to us as the faithful in February, right? It was it was a foregone conclusion he was gone. So Shanahan builds this offense for Lance. Lance gets hurt week two. Jimmy comes in. They really don't miss a beat from an offensive standpoint. You know, they had some weapons hurt in those games you were talking about earlier with Atlanta, et cetera. And then now Purdy comes in, and they've even looked better than they did with Jimmy G. And they've won seven in a row. And obviously the McCaffrey trade is a huge piece of that. And just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on, you know, coach of the year aspect. Is that ever held in? from a national voter standpoint of, hey, look what this coach had to overcome, or is it just best record, best team? Yeah, I mean, I, I totally get what you're saying, and I, I really think that this last game in Seattle was just an exquisite game 
just given all the the circumstances that uh, the 49ers were facing and and um you know the I felt it was Shanahan's best game as a as a play caller um, but uh, I, I'm skeptical whether he could do it just from everything you just said. Sirianni is going to have the, the best record. We already talked about sort of the uh, the East Coast bias there. He's been getting lots of pub all year, and other guys getting lots of pub, and deservedly so is uh, is Mike McDaniel um, in, in Miami for, for what he's been able to do with the Dolphins. Uh, but, uh, yeah. I mean, it, 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 he needs to be in the conversation at, at the very least. And, and I hope that he is. Um, it's so uh, interesting that you bring that up because all I see on Twitter is uh, that, uh, you know, Shanahan's trash and he should probably be fired <laughs> at some point. But uh, this, this would this would go counter to the Shanahan is garbage uh, argument. Uh, David, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's been a hell of a coaching job this year from Kyle Shanahan. Just because I, you know, the way that he's delegated responsibility for that quarterback room, which might have initially been just something that he did to make sure that the 49ers developed Trey Lance as well as possible, but it has now benefited three different starting quarterbacks for the 49ers. I mean, think of what Shanahan did this offseason. He brought in Brian Greasy, first time quarterbacks coach to handle a lot of the nuts and bolts of that job. But Clay Kubiak is also in that room as the assistant quarterbacks coach. Uh, Bobby Slowick, the uh, pass game coordinator, is in the room. Shanahan brought in Anthony Lynn, uh, a pedigreed head coach who's a run game specialist. But you have to believe that he's also helping out the QBs, at least through coaching up the running backs to be good receivers for the quarterbacks because everything has to work in cohesion for the offense. Brian Flurry, the 49ers tight ends coach, is a former QB. I mean, he, he throws passes with the quarterbacks during warmups, and he's, you know, the, the way that Flurry coaches offense and coaches tight ends uh, is done in a manner so that it benefits the quarterback. We're talking about route depth and, you know, where exactly the break is happening and angles. Anyway, my main point is that I think Shanahan has built a great, great staff to uh, – I think Shanahan has built a great, great staff to absorb the particular challenges the 49ers have faced this year with the most prominent challenge that the 49ers have faced being quarterback health, right? They've had to go from Lance to Garoppolo and now to Brock Purdy, and I think that would sink. Uh, almost any other team that's ever played football in the history of the NFL, right? You don't just go to your third quarterback and be fine. I think one of the exceptions might have been the 19, I want to say, what what was it, the 1991 49ers, who, but they didn't make the playoffs. But, I mean, they did get to their third guy, Steve Bono, and they ripped off a, a ton of wins. This 49ers team is on a whole different stratosphere. They're, they're, they're still fighting for a high playoff seating. They already have the divisional title. And they're on their third quarterback. So I think a lot of that goes back to the infrastructure coaching-wise that Kyle Shanahan built, delegated, whatever you want to say, in that quarterback room. And he ultimately should get credit for that because he insulated this team uh, for just some of the crazy occurrences that have happened this year. And now the results definitely speak for themselves. There's also co- cohesion with the uh, front office. I mean, the the, the McCaffrey trade – uh, is looking like a, a genius move, and they edged out their their number one competition, um, the Rams, to get that. So um, you know, a, a, another sort of false narrative out there. Remember, 
how we used to, we read that uh, Shanahan and Lynch. Uh, boy, those two guys just weren't getting along. That, that was uh, that was one of the worst things uh, that was that's been reported. These guys get along as well as any uh, GM head coaching duo, and uh, um, Lynch really kind of brought in an excellent, excellent piece for the 49ers this year. And then you can also, you know, throw in the, the Brock Purdy um, uh, draft pick. I, I don't we, we still haven't figured out who exactly is responsible for that. A lot of times it's the QB's coach that really kind of takes ownership of later round uh, or undrafted guys, Rich Gangarello and, and Nick Mullins back in 2018, that comes to mind. Um, but uh, bringing in P- Brock Purdy, uh, looks to be a, uh, a very, very smart move for this team right now. So nice cohesion between coaching staff and front office. Yeah, I mean, we've seen, uh, you know, we, we talked about the, the Fort Anner success drafting in the later rounds, and this has been a theme throughout several years, and Purdy is added on to that list, right, as Mr. Irrelevant himself, number 262. I mean, the 49ers, it's very clear that the, the scouting department, the way that they are able to scour uh, college football for, for talent that's not just talent, but talent that fits exactly what the 49ers want to do is impressive. And in the case of Brock Purdy, uh, I've talked about this a lot. Purdy, to me, that you know, this is one of the – speaking – let me step back for a second. Speaking of terrible narratives – Somebody went out this week and was like, oh, yeah, I see the Purdy comp as Taylor Heineke. And it's like, to me, that, that's insulting to, to Brock Purdy because I like to give players the benefit of the doubt. Like, if Purdy is – he has the top passer rating in football here over the past three weeks. Taylor Heineke's like a number 25 guy, right? So, yeah, maybe Brock Purdy is going to regress. But uh, until he regresses, you know, I'm, I'm going to look at him as a player with – a lot of potential and to say that he, you know, some kind of bottom barrel quarterback when, when obviously he hasn't been a bottom barrel quarterback to me, that, that, that doesn't add up. But anyway, the reason why I think Purdy is in this spot of success so quickly is because his skill set matches exactly what the 49ers have needed for ready-made success. And if you want to toss out a fair comp for Brock Purdy, I know a lot of people don't want to say this for some reason, but it's Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that he, I mean, he's got the release. He He's a gunslinger at short range, right? He's that rare kind of QB that loves, loves to fire the ball over the middle into tight windows, and that's perfect for setting up yards after the catch in the system. And on top of that, he's faster than Jimmy Garoppolo, so he probably has more upside. Downside probably more right now, too, because he's a rookie, right? So he's still figuring stuff out. But so many of the, 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 the skills that made Jimmy Garoppolo efficient within Shanahan's offense that's been built for yards after the catch, Purdy was able to take and run with right away. In that Miami game, he started bleeding all those zero blitzes with a quick release, and we were like, ooh, that looks like Jimmy Garoppolo. And he's also shown us that he's got an insanely quick 10-yard burst, so he can escape that pocket more effectively than Garoppolo did. And, you know, you just look at that set of skills and you say, hey, the 49ers picked this guy in the seventh round. That scouting department really scoured college football, and they found a QB that they, you know, it wasn't easy to get a guy. It wasn't going to be easy to find a guy that would make this 53-man roster, right, because they were so loaded. But they found that needle in a haystack and Brock Purdy that was good enough to make the 53-man roster. And because of that, he was 
thrust into playing action. I mean, to make this 53, he had to have been good enough to immediately play. And Brock Purdy has immediately played, and it's paid off for the 49ers that, that they, you know, found exactly the puzzle piece that, that, that their roster needed entering this season. Yeah, and that's that's going to be what this front office has to do in coming years. They don't have any high picks, so they need to kind of find puzzle pieces um, from the end of the third round and, and later. And, and maybe they can cobble together some of those picks and, and move a little higher, but that's uh, that's going to be their M.O. is, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of guys hitting free agency, so there's going to be um, uh, some 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 spots to fill. And it'll be exactly what you just described, uh, very kind of uh, specific, targeted um, scouting being done. It'll, it'll be interesting. It's a different kind of draft than certainly what uh, what Shanahan and Lynch did in the, the first three years they were there. Um, Andy P. has a good question. He says, uh, have you guys seen, heard anything about Kalia Davis? I didn't expect we'd see him this season, so I'm very excited to see what impact he can have on the on the D line. And uh, just to uh, uh, get everybody up to speed, the, the 49ers not only opened the practice window this week for Javon Kinlaw, they did the same for Kalia Davis, another defensive tackle, sixth rounder this year, tore his ACL at uh, Central Florida last year, and it surprised me too. I wasn't expecting to hear his name. I my sense, David, is that he, they're not um, ready to to play him this season. That's not uh, the priority right now. I think that they probably have that as an option if if something happens with Kinlaw or they have a a spate of other injuries. Uh, but uh, very smart to kind of get him into practice because uh, he's somebody that they're going to have to lean on. Next year, I mentioned all the free agents that are that are coming up. <laughs> Most of those guys, a lot of those guys are all along the defensive line. So I think Leah Davis figures prominently into the the offseason mix for sure. And getting him this little um, spate of practices, this little boost right now, kind of sends him into the offseason in a in a very positive way. Well, you know, it's a no lose maneuver from the 49ers right because the he Kalia Davis is not on IR he's on NFI which means non-football injury uh, that just means that he got hurt outside the NFL so he tore his ACL in football but not in the NFL so he's put on this NFI list and just like the IR list the return from NFI comes with a practice designation to where you can practice for up to three weeks without being officially activated so I think what the 49ers did is they said, hey, we have three weeks right now until the end of the season. He's healthy enough to practice, so why not have him practice? Why not take advantage of this three-week window? And you open it right now just in case you get eliminated in the wild card round. I don't think the 49ers expect to, but smarter to open the window now than in two weeks and then get upset in the first round and then on insult on top of injury, right? Kalia Davis only gets one week of practice. So you want to maximize his practice time. That being said, if he blows them out of the water with how he practices and the kind of shape he gets into over the next week or two, it, or the 49ers can afford to activate Kalia Davis because he's he was on NFI before the season started. So he would not count as one of those return to play designations of which the 49ers only have eight. They only have two left, right? And the favorites to grab the last two are Javon Kinlaw and Elijah Mitchell. 
So all of a sudden, Clea Davis shows up and everybody's like, well, is he going to count one of the designations? Is he going to kick Kinlaw off, Mitchell off? What's going on? And no, that won't be the case. The 49ers are playing with house money here in that in the unlikely event that Clea Davis totally blows them away, they will have an ability to get him onto the roster without much downside. Let's uh, let's talk about some of these uh, Pro Bowl alternates. Um, Jake Brendel, I mean, right off the bat. Uh, remember a few months ago, Brendel was a big question mark. Um, you know, hadn't really played much at all. He, along with uh, Spencer Burford and Aaron Banks, uh, were part of this sort of neophyte offensive line. And all of a sudden, he's a, a Pro Bowl alternate uh, in his first season. I, uh, you know, congratulations to him on that. My mind spins ahead to free agency. And um, he's only signed for this season. So he's somebody that the, the 49ers, I'm sure, want to bring back uh, for future years. But, you know, given the, the number of teams that now run this, this Shanahan offense, including uh, Mike McDaniel, I, I thought uh, that w- that's been a big sort of missing element for the Dolphins. They could really use a, uh, a top-tier center. Um, and uh, I just wonder whether Jake Brendel is going to, end up uh, costing a lot more than the 49ers were banking on and uh, probably being a Pro Bowl alternate um, kind of ratches up that price a little bit more. So he's interesting. And then um, uh, Charvarius Ward, I thought uh, for looking at snubs, um, that's another possible snub. I, I just think he's been fantastic. He gets recognition here as an alternate. He's never been to the Pro Bowl before. Uh, but, uh, boy, I wonder whether his season was deserving of being a first-team Pro Bowler. What do you think, David? Well, he, he's the most physical cornerback in football. He, he he hasn't missed a single tackle. He is the best run-defending corner in football. And, you know, a lot of people will say, well, th- that's not really the job description. It absolutely is the job description, especially in the 49ers scheme. If you can't do what Charvarius Ward does so effectively, the entire defense breaks because they they put a lot of pressure on that outside cornerback to take away perimeter runs. And if that corner is a bad tackler, uh, then you don't even get the chance to cover because teams are just going to beat you around the edge, beat you around the edge. So Charvarius Ward, you know, cracking down, making those stops, not having a missed tackle all season. I think that in and of itself should have put thrust him right into the middle of the conversation and then the coverage numbers are actually really, really good. He had one bad game against the Chiefs. And I think that, you know, if you gave him some truth serum, he might say that he regrets playing because he didn't practice all week. And I think it was a pride thing. I don't think he wanted to miss a, a game against his, his former team, right, with Kansas City coming in. But I think it was very, I think it was very apparent that Charvarius Ward was not Charvarius Ward during that game against Kansas City. That's a larger discussion to have about aberrations in this 49ers defense because they obviously want to prove that that Kansas City debacle was an aberration. But for Ward uh, in particular, I think that it was clear that, uh, you know, that one blemish on his track record this year is something that you wouldn't expect him to, to replicate if he's healthy moving forward. And some of the NFL next-gen stats, uh, you know, tracking scores, which are really interesting – even before this season, they had Charvarius Ward as, as one of the truly elite corners in the game. But he wasn't recognized for that with Kansas City, maybe because he was in the shadow of Mahomes and uh, that offense, right? Uh, here with the 49ers, maybe maybe we'll take a Super Bowl win where 
Charvarius Ward has a big interception or a big pass breakup in the Super Bowl for for him to be on that map. But uh, I'll tell you what, every single metric, Matt, uh, says that this guy belongs, whether it be pass defense or run defense, where he literally is number one out of all cornerbacks. It, it definitely says that he belongs. Yeah, and he had a prominent game. You want to go game. to another question? Uh, I was going to say he go had ahead, a prominent Matt. game against um, – DK Metcalf the other night on national television. Unfortunately, the voting was done by then. Uh, so you're right. I think the, the more prominent games that he has, uh, the better for him. Just to uh, finish up on these uh, alternates, um, Mitch Wichnowski was another one. I think that he has really benefited from not having to do kickoffs. I think kickoffs are just not his thing. It's not, not, not anything he ever did. Uh, a lot in college. He's not a big leg guy. Um, I just think that last year he just seemed really run down. He was a new father. Uh, he was struggling with kickoffs, and I think that affected his punting. He's just doing punting now, and uh, he's acing it. Leads the league in um, the percentage of punts inside the 20. Um, and then Debo Samuel, uh, McCaffrey, we talked about Robbie Gold having a solid season, and then Ray Ray McLeod. Good for Ray Ray. I think he's, uh, I want to say, third in um, the punt return average. Um, the the thing that stands out about him to me is that he, he always makes that first tackler miss. I mean, these aren't always gigantic returns from him, uh, but he's got real guts, and the first move is good. He just doesn't have really, um, you know, long speed, crazy breakaway speed. We knew that going in. Uh, but uh, it just sort of uh, underscores what's been a very solid season for him and, um, you know, much better return game uh, overall. I mean, that's something that the 49ers have been just uh, duds in uh, the first uh, four or five years of, of Kyle Shanahan. That's improved this season. Yeah, and that's improved throughout the course of this season as well. Number one offense, number one defense, number special teams defense, number seven special teams DVOA for the 49ers ever since uh, they beat the Rams with the Christian McCaffrey trifecta. They've gone seven and zero over that stretch. So special teams has really turned it up. All right. Um, what do you think is going to happen this weekend? I, you know, I'm not going to even pretend to make this dramatic. I think the 49ers are going to blow them out. Well, one a big reason why I think so is the 49ers, they now have the benefit of the schedule. A, they're not traveling for this game. Washington's coming cross country on a short week. They played the Sunday night game. They've got to play a Saturday afternoon game on the West Coast. And the 49ers are coming off essentially a half bye, right? So you've got superior roster with rest against an inferior roster on short rest, traveling on the road. Um, I think this is going to be a 20-point game. I, I really do. Um, I, I predicted one blowout earlier this year. I was right. Then I predicted another one. And it was like a two-point game. <laughs> so, um, but, I, but, but I'm feeling that I'm going to be right on this one. I just, I just don't think this lines up well for Washington at all against the 49ers defense. What do you think? Um, I agree with your superior roster uh, theory. And I think it's probably going to be the case the, the rest of the season for the 49ers. Um, I, I think it'll be tighter, though, um, because uh, you know, I, I, if, if I'm the 49ers, I want my, uh, my opponent to have won the previous week. Uh, just like the the Buccaneers did, the Seahawks did, um, and, but uh, Washington got uh, a, a loss, and they got ripped off, kind of some 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 bad calls by the referees. I th- I think that they're going to be upset, um, and they're fighting for a playoff spot. So 
Um, I, I, I think they're going to be very much like Atlanta. I think that's a great comparison. I, I think the 49ers win this game, but I think it'll be a dogfight. Um, and uh, I think that uh, the 49ers run defense is really going to have to show up. This is going to be a lunch pail game. And um, it'll be a great opportunity to sort of prove to, to one another that uh, we are going to kind of roll through these next uh, three, these last three weeks and, and go into the season with momentum. But I think that the, the commanders are going to make them work for it. All right. Well, if you say so. Didn't you grow up wash, watching this Washington team, Matt? You grew up in that area. Not so. not this Washington team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not, not this. No, team yeah, I grew one, up a uh, diehard uh, Redskins fan back in the day. Um, but uh, uh, my crew, the guys that still that I grew up with that still live out there, were just as diehard as me. They've all fallen off the wagon um, because of uh, bad teams and uh, a bad culture there. So. I think uh, a lot of fans are are hoping that there's a change at the very top of that organization, um, because if if there is and they start winning, that's a, that's an area that just really, really is, is a lot like the Bay Area that really loves its team. And I, I think that they would uh, kind of reclaim their spot as one of the more um, uh, beloved and uh, one of the more lucrative uh, franchises, uh, which they uh, are, are no longer uh, within the last uh, 10, 15 years. Yeah, I mean, especially in the late 80s, early 90s, they, they had some really, really good teams under Joe Gibbs. And uh, they, I mean, great DB play, right, in Washington. I mean, th- those were those were tough football teams. So, um, th- I mean, and this is a tough team too. They, these guys come and they play complimentary football. They play defense. I just don't think. I just, I just can't look at that offense seriously with that quarterback and, and the pass protection issues they had against the Giants last week. And can't look at that and say that they're going to come travel across country on short rest and somehow do better against a, a 49ers team that's just been uh, really on a rampage here for, for seven weeks. So, you know, the NFL's weird, though. Sometimes trends reverse, and maybe it will in this game. But the 49ers obviously still gunning for that number two seed. All right, everybody, thanks for joining. Uh, this is awesome. Uh, next time, maybe we'll get a few more audio questions. We, we answered both of you guys that got up on stage. So uh, we'll, we'll try to do a few more of these and maybe up the up the frequency here as this season gets really fun. It's going to be a hell of a December and January because uh, the, the football is about to get really, really intense if it hasn't already. For Matt Barrows, this is David Lombardi. We'll talk to everybody next time on Here's the Catch.